So as I was just praying this week and, and doing some studying, squeezing in some studying here and there between all the Christmas festivities and getting stuff ready for my kids and stuff like that, I was praying like, God, what, what do I preach about this week? Because last week was our Christmas message, but the way it fell this year, we got one kind of in between, so it's not like... Hey, it's 2021. This is the first of the year message, but we're past the Christmas message. So I don't know why my mind's kind of weird. I'm like, um, what do I preach on this kind of in-between message here? Um, and I just really felt strong. And I, I want to talk to you about this. And it was kind of cool because sometimes I get a subject and I'll be searching for like scriptures to back it up. If I feel like God laid something on my heart and there were tons of scriptures to back this one up. So. I had to uh, just not read you a bunch of them because we're not going to take four hours. So I picked out a few of them. But today I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about home. Home. I want you to think about home. You know how like when you're on a vacation, you've been there for a while, and even if it's a good vacation, you just kind of start getting ready to, I want to get back home. They call it homesick. Like you, you got that feeling like, man, I just want to get back home and get in my own bed and where I'm comfortable and where I know things and the atmosphere and the environment that I've set up in my home. Because whether you know it or not, you control the atmosphere. You control the environment of your home. But I want to talk to you about that feeling about home. What is home? Where is home? And see, if I ask you, most good Christians, if I say, where is home? They'll say, in heaven. And that's true. You're saved. You believe what Jesus did for you on the cross. You, yes, you're going to heaven one day. And yes, that will be your ultimate home. So that's not a wrong answer. But, you know, I don't like when I ask Sky, hey, what'd you learn in kids space today? And he just says, learned about Jesus. That's kind of like, come on, dude, I'm sure that's a good answer. But I was looking for... Give me a little something else. I don't just say, oh, home is in heaven one day when I die. Because then we'll miss out on living like we're at home now, here, when we're alive. So that's what I want to just talk about that, that for a few minutes. And there's all kind of sayings about home. And I'm sure you've heard some of them. Like, home is where the heart is. Or have you ever heard somebody say, like, his heart's not in it? Her heart's not in it. What does that mean? Well, they don't have passion for it. There's no drive. They don't, they don't want to do it. So home is where the heart is. Home's somewhere you want to be. Some people leave their heart their home of what they thought home should look like, they leave it in the past. And now they don't live at home or in their home because of the past is where I'm going to leave my heart. Or the past is that's what my family was supposed to look like and then it got broken. So now I can't have the home that I once had. 
right? And it could be because of some hurt or some trauma or some pain or because something didn't turn out. But, but we leave our heart in the past sometimes. Some people set their hearts or their mind on the future and they forget to live today. Right? They forget about the steps that they need to make today and to make to create an environment to live like they're at home. So I have a word for you today. You have a home. Whether you know it or not, you you do have a home. But you must choose to live in it. You can have a home all day long, but you have to choose to live there. You have to choose to stay there, to dwell there. You can go, I mean, stay out all night if you want to. You don't have to go back to your home. So you do have a home, but you got to choose to live in it. And I won't turn there um, because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But in Samuel 16, before David kills Goliath, remember David... He killed Goliath. David's a type of Christ. He was the greatest king that Israel's ever known. He won more battles, took more land than any other king. David, King David. But back when he was a little boy, you can go read the story about him in 1 Samuel 16, is when God sent the prophet Jesse to go anoint the new king. Y'all remember the story. And David had all these brothers. And and Jesse went to go anoint the new king. And he shows up at the house and... Wait a minute. I said it wrong. Jesse was David's dad. Samuel went to go anoint the new king. And he showed up and went to go anoint him. And David had all these brothers. And he said, hey, Jesse, I'm here. One of your sons is going to be king. And he's like, yeah, great. One of my boys is going to be the king. I knew it. He said, okay, bring me all your boys. And he brought all the boys in. And they started with the oldest. And he said, nope. God said, it's not him, not him, not him, not him. They go through all the boys to where the prophet has to look at Jesse and be like, do you not have any more boys? Because God said one of your sons was going to be the king and it ain't none of these, dude. Like, you don't have any other? And he's like, well, man, I got one more. But he's out there in the field. He's, he's a little fella. And I don't, he's not really king material. The world. <laughs> Is that kid's face? <laughs> um, and he's like, yeah, I got one more. And so the prophet says, okay, well, we'll all just stand up until he gets here. Go get him. This is super important. Like, y'all need to go get him. And so they go get David and they bring him. And, and we've talked about this story before. And we, we hear this story. And we all know the ending because we've read the Bible. And we know that here coming up, he's, he's going to get anointed here. But then he's going to kill Goliath. And he's going to become the king. And all these awesome things are going to happen for David. And yeah, he makes some mistakes and stuff like that. But it's easy to just think of, wow, what an awesome story. But really, if you think about how David must have felt in that moment and in that situation, it probably wasn't too good. Everybody got picked before me. You ever been a part of a schoolyard pick for kickball or something and you were the very last one picked? Out here on a Wednesday night when they're picking, they're picking teams for softball and there's... 
that's why we started doing it where nobody can hear. Two people just go off by themselves and pick and come back and tell everybody that's on their team. Because that can be devastating. You're the last one picked. Uh, whose turn is it? I think it's your turn. No, it's your turn. You get him. No, I think I see someone else coming. I'll take them. That's how David must have felt. Like dad didn't even bring me into the house when it was time to pick a son that would be great. When it was time to pick a son that would do something great in the kingdom, I wasn't even considered. That's the feeling that that David must have had. Forgotten insignificance. He was the last pig. He was left out. Even his own father didn't think he could do it. Right? Like he was there with his brothers and his dad. He was part of the family. You know there are two different kinds of family that you have in your life. Obviously there's your, your family of origin that you were born into. And you have no choice over that. Some of y'all have good ones. Some of y'all have bad ones. And I would say most of us have mixed ones. Some good, some bad. But you don't choose that. You don't choose what family you were born into. But then you have your family of choice. You have the people that you choose to be in relationship with. The the church that you choose to go to. the, The family of choice, we'll call it. You do choose that one. And it's very important who you choose to be in close relationship with. It's so important. We're talking about living at home and and family has a huge part in that. In how you feel. So David's father didn't even think he could do it. These are the feelings that will keep you from living like you're at home. They say that that when a couple gets divorced, that one of the hardest things for the kids is to feel comfortable, safe, or at home. Like that's one of the, the hardest things is for the kids. Comfortable, safe, and at home. So separation can cause you to not feel at home. And we know that David, from, from reading his story and reading through the Psalms, that David knew or learned that home wasn't a place. That home was God. And as Christians, God is our home. We are God's home. We're going to read some scriptures that, that talk about that. That it's God and God's people. Remember a couple weeks ago we, we read that we are living stones. And that Jesus is the cornerstone. And that God's building something. A holy temple. And we're the building materials. So really, home's not a place. God's home. God's people are home. So no matter where you are, you can be at home. Because you learn to trust that He's enough. 
So home is to live in a state of comfort and confidence. Why? Because you're at home. Right? You can just get up and go to the fridge and grab you something to eat if you're in your house. If you're at somebody else's house, you don't do that. Well, some of y'all might, but I mean, it's kind of rude. You wait. Even if you're real thirsty, you're sitting there thinking, man, I wish they'd offer me something to drink. If you're at your house and you get thirsty, you just walk in there and get yourself something to drink. That's how God wants us to live in the kingdom and to move and to, to know who we are. Be confident and comfortable in who he's created us to be. I want to look at John 14. And in this chapter, it's really familiar that the chapter starts out like, it's the chapter that starts out, in my Father's house are many mansions. That word mansions is dwelling places or homes, the many mansions, many homes, many houses, many dwelling places. But I want to start reading to you in, in verse 15. This is Jesus talking. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, I can't. If we read that out of context or we read that wrong or we don't put it with the next verse that's about to follow, it's, it's super easy because I know we've all heard that. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you think, well, dang, I can't bat a thousand. I can't keep his commandments. I can't do everything I'm supposed to do. I mess up. It's okay. You're in good company. Read it with the next verse. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter or helper. He said, look, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I already know you can't do it, so I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to come on the inside of you and be your comforter or your helper that He may abide with you forever. He's not going to leave you. He'll stay with you. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him. For He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. Some translations say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm giving you a family, a home. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. And and he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. 
or I will make myself known. You will see me. So, so Jesus said again, he says it again. If you know my commandments and you keep them, or if you do what I say, right, then I will make myself known. Then you will see me in your life. Oh, I just don't see Jesus. I don't know where God is. I, 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 mean, I don't hear him. I don't see him in my life or my family or in my home. Or Jesus said, if you do what I say, I will make myself known. You will see me. In what? Whatever. So what are you trying to say there, Jesus? It's motion activated. You know, every time God gives you a dream, they're always motion activated. And I didn't know that for a little while. And it's real easy to wonder why something's not coming together. But you know, one time I... I went to Walmart and I had a dream of these awesome things that I was going to get inside and some good food and great stuff. And I pulled up and I looked and the door was closed. And I sat there just staring at that door and I thought, but God, I, I had a dream to go into Walmart and get some awesome stuff and the door has been closed to me. And then I watched as somebody else walked up and the door opened for them and they smiled and went inside. And the door closed back in my face as I sat there in my truck. And then I noticed the door open for somebody else as they came out listening to the music, bobbing their head with a whole buggy full of blessings that God allowed them to partake of. And the door was closed to me because I didn't take any steps towards it I didn't get close enough to it for it to open for it to be activated well I thought God said I would walk in the land of Walmart but that door never opened my question is were you taking steps towards it were you preparing for the dream that God gave you. See, God will give you a dream, but His dreams are motion activated. In other words, it always takes some obedience. It doesn't just happen. You have to obey. He wants to put the weight on you, but you hadn't done the reps. Well, I can't bench press 500 pounds. No kidding. You hadn't done the reps. You can't. God, put it on me. But we do that spiritually. God, I'm ready for the dream that you've given me. I'm ready for the ministry. But And God's like, no, you're not. It would crush you. It would kill you if I put 500 pounds on you. Why? Because you hadn't done the reps every day. You hadn't done the hard work to get ready. 
gave you the dream. Now take the steps towards it. He will give you the money, but you're not faithful with your finances yet. Some of y'all say, God, I've been faithful. When can I get my Technicolor dream coat back? Remember the story of Joseph? He had that awesome coat that his dad gave him and his brothers beat him up and stole it. Joseph never got the coat back. That was in the past. But so many times we get stuck like, okay, God, where's the dream back now? Okay, well, where's my coat? It's so much bigger than the coat. See, Joseph, when he got the dream, once he finally got it, he got a robe because he was the second most powerful man in the world underneath Pharaoh. He actually got some, an Egyptian costume and some eyeliner instead of that coat. Well, guess what? When he was a little Jewish boy with the colored striped coat, he probably didn't think he would want eyeliner instead. That ain't me, man. And, and how many times do we do that? Like when, okay, well, where's my coat back? It's not going to look like that. You dream small. You think so small. And God's trying to do something so much bigger. That was a step. Right? That was a bump in the road when you lost that coat. And I'm sorry. And I know it hurt. That your brothers beat you up and ripped your coat. And they, they took that away from you. And it's something you'll never get back. But stop looking back at the coat. It's about so much more than a coat. It's so much bigger. Don't keep looking for the coat. God says, stop looking back. It's so much bigger than that. It's not about the old. It's not about things being restored to the way they were. If things went back to the way they were, you would be out of position and too weak to carry the purpose. Look at Isaiah 43, 18. Remember ye not the former things. That word former, it's a Hebrew word. And it was translated former, but it's a Hebrew word, zakar. And it doesn't mean amnesia. That's what what we think. Remember ye not. right? We think, oh, I just need to forget it. That's how you remember ye not. You forget about it. You act like you never knew it. No. The words that were used there, the word... Here's what it means. It means to stop mentioning. It means stop listening to and stop talking about the way things were. He said, stop mentioning it. Stop listening to people that all they can talk about is the way things were. How good the family used to be before so-and-so messed it up. And all they can talk about is the pain. 
the brokenness, the hurt, the pat, the point back to, well, when he gives me my coat back and says he's sorry, then we'll move on. He said, stop talking about it. Isaiah said, stop mentioning that. I'm trying to do something. God wants to do a new thing, but as long as you keep talking about and mentioning and listening to other people talk about the way things were, the former things, God can't do a new thing. Your past has a voice. Now, there are some things in your life that you need to stop talking about. It was a part of your life. It was a chapter of your story. It is not the underlying theme of your whole story. If I wanted to destroy you, I don't, don't worry. But if I did, I'd just try to get you to focus on your past. Because there's nothing you can do to change it. So you're just wasting time. Right? You're never going to move into your future. You're never going to walk into the purpose that God has for you. If I could keep you focused on your past, there's nothing you can do to change your past. So you're just going to waste time and waste time. I can learn from my past. Yes. I can honor my past. I can remember my past. But if I give it power... It'll keep me from the new thing that God wants to do in my life. So remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. It doesn't mean it's easy. When God says to do something, it means it's possible. It doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, it's usually not easy. It's usually pretty hard. So when God tells you to do something, you don't think it means like, oh, this is easy. It, no. No. It just means it's possible. Like you can do it if you'll just obey. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? That's a question. He said, are you going to know it? Are you going to be able to see it? Or is it just going to, you're going to miss it? Right? That's a choice. You're going to miss it? Will you know it? I will even make. Make. So we're talking about God doing a new thing, and I will make. So when I think about God doing a new thing in my life, and he says, this is, this is God speaking through the prophets. So these are the words of God. And when I think of God saying, I'm going to make a new thing, I think of like, miracle. Bam, there's the new thing. Woo, and it's nice. I will make. That word make, it's a Hebrew word. It was translated make. It is not a miracle word. It means to create a process, a period of time. Oh, whoa, 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 hold up. God, you say you're going to make a new thing. Yeah, just like he said, I'm going to let you bench press 500 pounds. How am I going to do that? We're going to start you with 100 pounds. Let's see how many reps we can do. It is to create a process for you to receive the new. You know how long a process takes? <laughs> I don't know. 
One time, God called Pat and Jeannie to build a house. And then he didn't just go, and there was a nice log cabin sitting there. It was a process. How long was it? Like four years? A four-year process of a lot of hard work. It's still, still stuff. A lot more than four years. That's how God works, right? And that's what gets us strong enough is as we walk through the process, that's how He grows us, and that's how He builds and forms relationships in our lives as we walk through the process. But we need to get out of our head this, yeah, God can do miracles. Yeah, God's a way maker, and yes, God can do a miracle, and He does do miracles. I believe that. But we can't just have in our head that we're waiting on God to do some miracle. No, we have to be willing to walk through the process. Because more times than not, He creates a process to get us to the goal. He creates a process to get us to the dream. To get us to the new. New relationship, new way of thinking, new whatever. I will even create a process or I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I will do the impossible. But you need to know it's a process. So what does that mean, don't quit? I know it's a process. I know you're in the middle of it and it, it's, the road's been long. Don't stop. If you quit in the middle of the process, then you'll never see the new. If you quit in the process, then it's been vain. It's worth it if you make it. It's worth it if you make it to the end. It, if a woman's in labor with a child, that's rough, that's hard, that's painful. But guess what? When you get the baby, it's worth it. I don't want to just go through labor and not get anything out of it they that labor in vain I don't want labor in vain I don't know about y'all I'm going to get something for it well how do you get something for it you don't quit you keep trusting you keep believing you keep obeying it's brick by brick it's gift by gift it's stone by stone it's act of service by act of service it's it's consistency What about in your marriage? Well, I love my wife. Jesse, we have a good marriage. But if you ask me, when did you fall in love with Jesse? Like, what moment were y'all like, you didn't love each other, you did love each other? I don't know. There was a whole bunch of things that went into it. I'm sure there were Smiles and conversations and things said and, and physical attraction and words spoke. There was all kind of stuff that went into us falling in love. I don't know. You know how to, I mean, you can go to the gym and get in good shape. Well, if I ask you, um, well, uh, when did you get in shape? Well, it, it was a process. It, it was over a long period of time. 
I don't know. I don't know when it happened. I just kept doing what I was supposed to do over and over and over. See, it's not a 10-hour intense workout that gets you in good shape. It's 30 minutes a day. Consistency over a long period of time. It's not going to the dentist once every two years that keeps your teeth clean. It's called brushing them twice a day for two minutes. Each time. Well, when did you get them nice shiny teeth? I don't know. It's a process. Over and over and over. You keep doing what you know to do. Well, when does it work? I don't know. But I do know if you only do it one time, it doesn't work. Right? A process doesn't work if you only do it once. I don't care if you're talking about love in a marriage or working out or brushing your teeth. It don't work if you only do it one time. It takes consistency. Well, I tried that. I tried living my life for God. I ain't work out for me. I tried giving a little money and offering. And my power got shut off next week. It's a process. It's obedience. If like you don't it, it doesn't work if you just do it one time. God calls us to a life, to a relationship. It's going to take discipline and consistency. Or as Jesus said, do what I say. Obey my commands. All right, let's look back at John 14 and just finish up what Jesus was saying where we left off. John 14, 22. Where we just read, Jesus said, uh, if you do what I say, I'll make myself known unto you. Uh, verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot. John wanted us to know this wasn't, this wasn't the Judas that betrayed Jesus. There was another dude hanging out with him named Judas. So John wanted to make sure we knew that wasn't him. Not Iscariot. He said, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us? And not unto the world. And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode or our home with him. Oh. God's talking about this father-son relationship that we got invited into. Where we live and dwell and we move together with God. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, or the Helper, the Holy Spirit, 
which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things. Jesus is saying, don't worry. Like, don't, like, he's going to teach you everything you need to know. It's going to be okay. I'm going to pray, and, and Dad's going to send him to come and live inside you and be your helper. So don't stress out and don't worry about having to figure everything out. Jesus is telling them, it's, it's going to be okay. I'm going to send you a helper. He's going to teach you everything you need to know, teach you all things, and he'll bring all things to your remembrance. He's going to remind you. Whatsoever I have said unto you, he's saying, don't worry. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. So let not your heart be troubled. Don't be worried or stressed out or anxious. Don't let your heart be troubled. If home is where the heart is, I want your heart to be in it. You to be passionate about this relationship that you've been invited into. So don't let stress and worry take you out of the relationship or cause you to not live like you're at home as a son or a daughter. You're welcome here in this relationship. Jesus is saying, you're at home with me and dad, you and I'm in you and I'm in him and he's in you and we're in... The disciples are probably looking at him like, what? So don't stress out. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So God wants to make his home in you. And as that God-shaped hole in you is filled, you can live and feel like you're at home. And think about the the story throughout the Bible. Remember Adam and Eve, they were at home. God built this garden and they were in perfect relationship with him and there was no sin and death to separate them and they were at home. And he gave them free will and because of their choices, they got kicked out of their home. They got kicked out and God had a plan to redeem mankind and to fix the relationship. But for a time, they were kicked out and there was an angel put there to keep them out and they weren't told where to go. They were just out there wandering around. Then we look and we see Abraham or Abram. And then God changes his name to Abraham. And, and we know him as the father of our faith. But he was a wanderer. He even asked God, okay, I'm going to do what you said. Where do you want me to go? And God said, to a place that I will show you. Just go. He was a drifter, a wanderer, looking for his home, looking for a place to land and settle. And where, where am I going? Where's my home? God said, you're going to be a father. And he didn't even have one kid. You're going to be a father of many nations. They won't even be able to count your descendants. And he's like, I don't even have a kid. I don't even have a home. The children of Israel were slaves for 400 years and, and God set them free to do what? Wander through the desert for 40 years on a 43-day journey that took 40 years of wandering, looking for a home, looking for a place to settle. Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man came and you know what Jesus said? He said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, 
me, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't have a home. What was he doing? His purpose was going to the cross to fix what was broken. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Friends, this world is not your home. And he's saying, Peter's saying like, hey guys, don't get confused. When Peter was sitting there for all that stuff in John that we just read, Jesus explaining it to him. He said, friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't fit in and get comfortable. That's not your home. Don't get cozy in the world and what everybody else looks like and does and, and what's okay. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Now, I don't want to indulge my ego at the expense of my soul. What's worth your soul? Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and they'll be there to join in the celebration when He arrives. Romans 12.1 So here's what I want you to do. All right, ready? Here it is. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Right there, he's like, wait, here's what I want you to do. Oh, they're not going to be able to do it. God helping you. So, like, don't worry, don't stress out, because God's going to give you the strength to do this. So, don't start thinking why you can't do it. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, and going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. You say you're supposed to look different. Don't just become so well adjusted that, that you don't even pause. You don't even think. Instead, what are you supposed to do? Fix your attention on home, on God. Well, then what will happen? You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and He develops well-formed maturity in you. God brings out the best in you. When you're living at home, you're living comfortable and confident, you're engaging in the process. God brings out the best. Look at Romans 4, 17, and this is it. We'll close. We'll end by talking about old Abraham. Father Abraham. 
We call Abraham father. Not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God's saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father. And then he became a father. God called Abraham a father before he was even a father. God called Abraham a father when it was impossible for him to become a father. 1st named father and then he became a father. Why? Because he dared to trust God. To do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life. With a word. Make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyways. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do. Don't live on the basis of what you can't do. But on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of people. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. And Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred year old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. Here's what it looks like if you're living not at home. He didn't tiptoe around God's promises asking cautiously skeptical questions. You tiptoe around, you're asking skeptical questions cautiously. It, is it okay if I get a little bit of that sweet tea out of the fridge? Oh, that's not going to work over there. Like, no, it's not what he did. Here's what he did. He plunged into the promise and he came up strong. Well, I want that to be said about me. Who does he? He plunged into the promise and he came up strong. He wasn't afraid of the process. He had some discipline and some consistency. He plunged into the promise and he came up strong. Ready for God. Sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God. How? By trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. It wasn't just him, it's you too. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life. When the conditions were equally hopeless, the sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, and he set us right with God. It's not hopeless. We're supposed to be different. We just read two different scriptures that say we're supposed to look different. 
we're supposed to believe. We're supposed to trust. We don't give up. We don't quit. We've been invited into this relationship that changes everything. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we interact. Walking out on your family, that's normal. A lot of everybody, a lot of people do that. We're not supposed to be normal. But looking at things that dishonor women and or your wife, that that's normal. That's boys will be boys. That's what men no. We're not supposed to be normal. How about letting your wife be the spiritual leader? It's normal. How about when we chase money instead of God? We pursue things over relationship. That's normal. That's what we're taught to do. But it's not what we're called to be. And it's real hard to live life like you're at home. About being selfish instead of selfless, like Jesus said, normal. If all my bills are paid and I don't need or want anything, then I'll help somebody else. That's normal. If you want to fit in with the culture around you, that's you're doing a good job. Go for it. Not if you want to look like Jesus. We live in a culture that's all about me. What looks good, what feels good, what I want, social me, dia, all that. It's all about me. I like how filter not supposed to be about me we can even make church about me do you know that happens all the time well I don't like that song I can't believe they sang that well every time Dylan sings his voice just puts me straight on out of the mood I sure wish they wouldn't let him lead one this week. I just made that. Don't don't feel any type of way, Dylan. I made that up. But I've heard that about different people. Different things. Different people come in and say, yo, you know what? That, that message didn't really speak to me. Dusty didn't speak to me today. You know what? I don't like him. I can't be in the same room with him. You know, I don't like her. She offended me. I won't be there with that person. Dusty didn't feed me. Well, I'm so sorry. I thought you came to see Jesus, not me. 
I really thought you came because you were instructed to come out of obedience to God and you were looking for Jesus, not that person across the room that offended you. Your motives were wrong in the first place. If that keeps you out of the house, if that keeps you from being a living stone built together, See, I want to be part of God's story. I want to be part of the house that he's building. I want to be a living stone, fitly, rightly joined together with Jesus as the cornerstone because that's the way we'll see change in the world. That's the way we'll see a better future. That's the way we will connect, and that's the way we will feel comfortable and confident, and we will live in our home as sons and daughters. is when we assemble, is when we come together. You know you can go fast alone, but you can go far together. Fitly joined together. Let's pray. Hey God, thanks for speaking to us. God, thank you that you can meet every single one of us right where we are. That you can give us a word. Maybe one thing that was said today, maybe it was something in the singing or something somebody said out in the coffee bar, but God, we believe that you are living and that your word is active. And now that we've heard what you had to say to us, we commit to be doers of the word, to walk it out. God, I want your promises for my life. I, I want to walk in purpose so I understand that it's motion activated. I understand that you require a step of obedience. So God, today I make a commitment that I will step out. I will not grow weary in the process because of the joy or the hope that is set before me. God, we love you so much. God, help us to connect on a deep level with you and your people. Help us to become lights that shine brighter than we've ever shined before. Beacons of hope. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.